Welcome to Frontline Voices, a podcast by the Natural Resources Council of Maine. We all all share a love for Maine's environment. Every day, decisions are made that could impact our woods, waters, wildlife, and climate. Join us as we share stories of Mainers working to build healthier communities and protect what makes Maine so special. Maine's bottle bill is a big part of our culture and environmental ethic. It's also our most effective recycling and litter prevention program. Since it first began 45 years ago, hundreds of Mainers have built their lives and small businesses around bottle redemption. It helps cities and towns reduce waste, helps them save money, and it ensures that bottles and cans actually get recycled. It also is a great source of money for local charities. I know a lot of people... Uh, redeem their bottles and cans so that they can give that money to local charities. Uh, So Maine's Bottle Bill has really been a great example for the rest of the country, uh, like so many of the environmental laws that have been passed here. And we're all invested in making it work well, which is why a big focus of NRCM's work at the State House this year has been to push for improvements that would strengthen the Bottle Bill and make it more efficient. I'm your host, Colin Durant, and I'm really excited to be joined today by NRCM's Sustainable Maine Director, Sarah Nichols, who's here once again with us to talk about the bottle bill and why it needs updating. Sarah, it's really good to have you on the podcast again. Thank you so much for the invitation, Colin. I really enjoy your enthusiasm about <laughs> Maine's bottle bill this morning. Um, it seems to be all bottle bill all the time around here, and I love every second of it. Nice. I'm going to start. I'm going to I'm going to go off script here and ask actually ask you a really important question. Have you gotten out on the mountain bike lately? <laughs> Sadly no. Oh. It's still I need to pump my tires and lube up my chain and attach my bike rack to my car and that's what's preventing me from getting out on the trails. What about you? That's a lot of barriers. I haven't been I haven't been out on a mountain bike, but I've been out on the road bike a couple times. Um, so, and this glorious weather, uh, I, I just, I, I, you know, I kind of rather be out there than talking to you, although it's always great to talk to you. Um, <laughs> right, let's do it. Um, let's just kick it off with, a, a, with, you know, what's your overview of the bottle bill when people ask you about it? What is it? What does it accomplish for Maine and Mainers? Sure. I guess my uh, quick elevator pitch about the bottle bill is it's really the gold standard of recycling programs. Um, It's Maine's best recycling program um, because of the deposit, really, that you put on those containers. So when, you know, you almost turn those containers into a form of currency, they turn into nickels. So um, when that happens, you know, you don't throw nickels out on the ground and, uh, you know, and people just treat them, treat them like money and they Mm -hmm. take them back. And when um, we have a really high, um, at least 75% recycling rate for bottles and cans, which is double what the state's average recycling rate is for everything else. And something else that I've learned recently is there's so many beverage containers. Um, about half of the packaging waste in Maine is from beverage containers. Wow. So thank Yeah. Like, thank goodness for the bottle bill. Um, it's, it's such an important part of our, um, of our waste infrastructure here. And it saves so much money from municipalities since it's going through the bottle bill system, mm-hmm. it's not getting, um, you know, funded by taxpayers and, you know, taxpayers don't have to clean up the litter created by the bottles and cans. It's just been such an amazing uh, success. Yeah, that's great. Well, so just walk us through the steps of actually how this works. I know we've got a great graphic that you helped create with our team here 
um, that's on our website at nrcm.org that shows how it works. But just talk people through, like, how does this, how, do, how does it actually, like, what happens from the beginning to the end with a, a bottle that you redeem? Sure, I'll do my best to try to uh, de-nerd this process. <laughs> you know, I always have a hard time uh, doing that. So um, basically it starts with the beverage manufacturer. So, um, a, you know, a, a brand owner, a, you know, Coke, Pepsi, whatever it is, um, when they sell their um, beverages to a retailer, the retailer pays them, you know, for the, those beverages and the deposit upfront. So the, mm. the beverage companies are really the holder of that initial deposit. Then the retailer, you know, will sell those uh, containers to the consumer. The consumer pays the retailer to the deposit, makes them whole. Then the consumer, you know, drinks their beverage and um, hopefully decides to take it back to a redemption center. Um, when they take it back to a redemption center, the redemption center gives them the nickel back and has those containers. Then the beverage manufacturer, again, comes back to the redemption center, picks up those containers, reimburses them that deposit. And at that time, they pay them um, a handling fee. That's the only way the redemption centers get paid is through this separate. It's not the deposit. It's, it's a handling fee. Um, right now, it's uh, we just raised it, which we can talk more about. But it's four and a half cents. We just raised it up to six cents. But that's the only way that the redemption centers make money is from that fee. Um, but I also want to talk about what happens when the consumer does not return mm -hmm. the container to a redemption center. Let's say... Um, I don't think any of our listeners would be uh, littering, but some people do choose to litter or litter by accident or use those bottles and cans for shooting practice, or um, let's say they put them in their municipal recycling thinking that they're, you know, that that's redeeming the containers or donating the money somewhere. It's not. Let's say that happens. Then that deposit that you paid to the retailer, um, it, it ultimately gets kept by the beverage industry. Because they only have to refund that if to a redemption center if you bring it back. Mm -hmm. So when you're not redeeming, that money is kept by the beverage industry. And I think that's important to know. Yeah. And I think um, those are called like unclaimed deposits, right? People might hear that term um, in, in our sort of emails or in our communications about that. I understand. Um, is it right that it's like 25% of bottles and cans sold in Maine are not redeemed? Right. Yeah, yeah. That's about, that's the estimated rate. Our um, yep. date is an issue, but that's the, what's the, the DEP <laughs> estimates it is. Um, and that amounts to about, um, using my spreadsheet, about $16.7 million every year. Wow. Yeah. Um, yes. A poor, small portion of that money goes to the state general fund. Um, again, confusing with smaller non-comminglers. Uh, we don't need to get into that. Um, send it to the state, but it's usually mm. small beverages don't get to keep it. The large beverage companies do get to keep it. Right. And they don't need that money for sure. Um, it's tax-free. They can yeah. tax-free millions and millions and millions of dollars every year. Wow. That's incredible. So um, this is like a sweetheart deal they figured out, uh, but I know we'll talk about how we're going to try to fix that in a second. I did want to point out, obviously we're going to talk about the bills you're working on. That's one way people get involved, but this, like this whole campaign and hearing you talk about it over the last couple of months has had, you know, that sparked a change in our household, right? I was putting these in the recycling, kind of, I was being lazy, right? I'll admit it, and not redeeming them. And it really, um, it, it really sort of alerted to me the importance of making sure that you're redeeming these, both so that the money's getting, you know, getting back to you or to a charity or whoever, um, and also that you're ensuring that, you know, this robust recycling of bottles and cans like you were talking about. So I, 
I, I like to think that that's also like one of the great ways that people can make sure that they're having an impact is they make sure they're not just throwing it in the recycling bin, they're bringing it to a redemption center, they're putting it in that those green clink bags. I'll also note, because this has caused some confusion, there are like in my transfer center, there's a, a shed where you can put redeemables and I think it's the Boy Scouts or another charity takes them and so you just have to make sure you're putting them in that spot. But um, yeah, thanks for bringing up that 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 issue of the you know bottles and cans that aren't being redeemed because I think that's one of the like big ways that people can individually get involved, right? Yeah, one hundred percent. It's just something I think a lot of people don't really realize. Um, so like if I I have EcoMain services my household, and if we put those bottles and cans here, you know that goes to EcoMain. It's actually technically illegal for them to kind of pull it out and get the deposit money for those because oh, there could be other reasons why people might put them in a municipal recycling bin. So let's say if you're somebody who maybe enjoys getting um, wine direct shipment to your house, which guilty during pandemic, um, <laughs> I did, but I know not those, those direct wine shipments, those never paid deposits. Um, mm. You know, those aren't part of the bottle bill program um, currently. Um, and I knew to put those in my municipal recycling bin, because if I took those back to the redemption center, um, you know, that would be a kind of a form of, of a fraud, they say. Mm -hmm. um, but there could be reasons why that, that those other containers end up in the municipal recycling system. So it may be because you never paid a deposit on them in the first place. So that's part of the reason that they can't pull them out and get the deposits. Oh, interesting. Um, well, let's, let's talk about the redemption centers that, that you've, you've mentioned. Um, I mean, when you, they, these are like beloved local businesses in so many communities. When you step into these local businesses, as so many of us often do, it's really the heart and soul of the bottle bill program, right? And, and can you just, I was struck when we visited one, just like, can you just talk a little bit about why the work that they do is so important and how hard it is, right? Like what was really reinforced to me is it's, you know, people are like, oh, I just bring it there. But there's sort, I mean, there's a there's a lot that goes into the work that redemption centers do. Um, so I'd love for you to just help center our discussion on the really important role that redemption centers, you know, play in the bottle bill. Yeah, no, you're totally right. I'm just, um, you know, I'm blown away by the, the hardworking, you know, kind of environmental community focused ethic of these business owners. Um, like I just have grown, I have so much respect for these folks and the way that they do their business and why they do their businesses. They love being part of the community, you know, having everybody in town come in, mm. um, being able to set up all these different charities. Um, you know, they'll have dozens and dozens of charities. Anybody who wants to set anything up, they're happy to do that and facilitate that. And um, and then the people that they employ, you know, so a lot of these people are, are, are people that are, are difficult to employ sometimes. They might be people who have mental health issues or substance abuse issues or just got out of, um, you know, a, a incarceration or something like that. And, um, you know, and they, they, they're, they're hardworking people who, who deserve, you know, a job. And um, so a lot of the businesses, they want to stay open so that they can provide these critical services. They know they're helping recycling. They know they're contributing to charities and they know they're helping employ people and um, helping them, you know, support their families. So, um, you know, when I was a kid, I grew up in Maine too. And I remember going into these places and it, you know, has that familiar kind of like sound and sense. And you're always blown away by how many boxes they had nowhere to put things in. They're tossing mm -hmm. things all over the place. Um, and I've, you know, it's just kind of nostalgic uh, going back into these facilities today. Yeah, for sure. And, and uh, you know, I think so 
and as you mentioned, you've been working really closely with them to, to, to listen and learn about the challenges they're facing. And I'd like to just shift to that because that's the focus of one of the bills we're working on that you mentioned. But first, I'd like, before we talk about that bill and the handling fee a little, I'd love to just hear, like, you know, redemption centers are closing, they're struggling. What's the state of play right now? Like, what are the stresses that they're that they're they're facing as local business owners that we're that we're working to solve with with this this law that got passed. Right. So you know, I mentioned that um, you know that handling fee earlier. That's the only way they get money. That that's a that's a statutorily set amount. Um, so when you know, as happened in the past few years, when inflation uh, you know is causing um, increased costs for them, there's higher utility costs, higher you know, much higher electricity rates. Um, you know, labor costs have gone up, um, not only because of, you know, minimum wage laws, but it's because people aren't willing to work for what they were working for before. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, the they're just demanding higher higher wages and they deserve them. You know, all of those employees have higher costs too, and people need to make more money. And redemption centers, you know, since that fee is set in statute, they are unable to absorb, they, they just absorb those costs basically. Um, and, Many of them, like I said, they're so proud of the, what the work that they do. They'll just operate on, you know, they'll lose money to keep their business open. Basically, um, they'll have to borrow money. I heard one woman says she's been in business, you know, pretty much the whole time the bottle bill's been around, almost forty-five years, and um, this is the first year she's had to actually borrow money to stay open. Um, you know, and they get they've just been kind of nickel and dimed over the years by the um, by the beverage folks who aren't picking them up on time and paying them on time. And it's a real, you know, it's a real problem. Um, and I'm really hoping that we can make things better for them. Yeah, well, so let's talk about, uh, you know, really exciting news that Governor Mills um, signed into law an emergency bill that passed two thirds of both the House and the Senate. Um, you know, so on a bipartisan basis, this emergency law that's going to increase the handling fee. Can you just give a little bit of the specifics there? You mentioned it earlier, but I'd love for people to hear about tangibly what that means. That's going to mean. Yeah, I um, God, I feel so happy about this. I went and um, hugged my favorite Redemption Center owner. <laughs> I don't mean to choose favorites, but uh, <laughs> my buddy Peter Welch um, in uh, in Portland on Forest Ave. He's helped me learn so much about the bottle bill over the years and. Um, you know, I went home to him last, last weekend. Um, I'm just so um, pleased that we're able to do this. So that, that policy, um, you know, we've had to go back over the years and raise the handling fee over time. And it's always been super duper hard. Last time we couldn't even get it to be an emergency. So they had to wait another six months before they got it. So to get this one through now with bringing them up to the pace of inflation and getting that emergency. So it's in effect today, you know, they're getting that money right now. I'm just overjoyed that that we were able to, to do that for them. And um, yeah, they're gonna, it's like so tangible. Like these businesses can now stay open over the summer. They can pay their employees and managers will have a place to take back their bottles and cans. Like it's not so often that we have such an immediate tangible result from the policies that we work on. I'm just so, you know, grateful that we were able to do that. Yeah, that's amazing. So remind me how, when what it, so it doesn't keep up with inflation. The last time it was, the handling fee was increased was when again it was 2019 2019 yeah. and so it's go it so it's going up uh it's going up and then is it gonna keep increasing or it, it's set at this point for now right now it's set well it's five and a half it's gone up from four and a half to five and a half cents right now it'll go up to six cents in september so that'll be nice for when you know 
tourists go home and things start slowing yeah. down to get that extra bump. Um, and then, you know, we could talk more about this other more modernization bill we're doing, but as part of that bill, um, we're trying to tie that inflation rate to the consumer price index, or at least have an evaluation every couple of years of, you know, what's an appropriate handling fee based on other changes so that we do not have to have these redemption centers come back to the legislature and beg for an increase. It's, yeah. you know, it's not okay. That no, we, even we in that situation we're in now where so many were forced to close, right? I mean, and so that's, that's the cycle, like you said, that we can't uh, um, afford to have. Well, so let's talk about this other bill. This is a bill sponsored by Representative Hepler to modernize the bottle bill. Um, give us a sense of, so these are really, you know, you envisioned and worked with redemption center owners and others, you envision these um, as a pair, right? We're going to provide this immediate relief, and then we're going to make sort of structural changes to modernize the bottle bill, which has been around for 45 years. That makes sense, right? Why wouldn't we do that? So just give us a sense of how this bill um, will do that. How is it going to strengthen the bottle bill? How is it going to make it more efficient and effective? Right. Um, so I guess, you know, NRC has long been a defender of the bottle bill. It actually first came about when Angus King was our lobbyist uh, back in the 70s. Um, and, you know, I've been at NRCM for almost 10 years now. And I've, I've kind of known that we were at some point going to have to open Pandora's box and make some structural changes um, to the bottle bill. So I've known that's been coming. And with the um, you know, last year, all the headlines of redemption centers closing and clinks depots getting, you know, overwhelmed. I was like, oh boy, here we go. This is the year to do it. And at the same time, I was, uh, you know, gearing up for that. Um, I connected with Representative Allison Hepler, and I also want to take a moment just to talk about how awesome that <laughs> that she is. She um, is one of those lawmakers who, you know, she really has just gone headfirst into this issue. She, we work side by side. We um, on this whole thing is just not all lawmakers have the time and the um, wherewithal to, to dive into issues like this. And she's one of them. She's I'm just, I couldn't say enough good things about her. Um, and um, so what we did was we kind of anticipated this was gonna be a year that was gonna have a bunch of different proposals to fix the bottle bill. And we took the mindset of let's talk to all the stakeholders, all the players in the system and try to thread the needle and come up with what we think is a solution that has a little bit of something for everybody and works. And that's what I think that we've done here. Um, we tried to work closely with the beverage industry to um, have, uh, you know, kumbaya, this is one proposal that we all agree on thing. We, we had to abandon that, unfortunately. So there are two proposals up on Monday at the public hearing. Um, I will say that the support I'm hearing is for Alison Hepler's bill. So now that that's all said, I can tell you um, a little bit about what it does. So um, one of the really big things that it does is it significantly reduces the tedious amount of sorting that redemption centers have to do. Redemption centers love this. Um, beverage industry loves this. Everybody agrees that we need to do this. In some cases, um, some redemption centers might have 600 different boxes because Right now, um, redemption centers are sorting by brand. Some brand owners, they you can mix them all together. Some you can't. Some you have to have 24 of them before they're picked up. It's just kind of, it's wild. Um, water bottles, especially, because there's so many different labels for those. So um, we're going to make it so that there's maybe 35 sorts. It's hard to say exactly what the number is, but they'll just be sorting by material type and size. Mm -hmm. So everybody's stoked about that. Um, that's going to be a big help for everybody. Um, Something else that the, the 
bill will do that I'm really excited about is it kind of reclaims those unclaimed deposits. So all that $16.7 million in unclaimed deposits, that'll be managed by this kind of commingling cooperative, this group um, who, who's you know in charge of making sure those sorts and everything gets picked up. They'll also be in charge of those unclaimed deposits and they can only be spent on certain things that improve the overall system. So those unclaimed deposits can be used to you know um, help manage that group. All of the, um, they can be used to incentivize the use of uh, technology by redemption centers. So reverse vending machines, for instance, those are those machines, you know, where you can kind of feed bottles and cans, they count them and crush them and um, really save space and sa reduce trucking costs and, um, you know, greenhouse gases from trucks on the road. Um, those are costs of redemption centers right now. Um, so there'll be money to cover those costs for redemption centers. Um, redemption centers will have the cost of their plastic bags covered. Some cases, you know, I've heard that they're, you know, $15 to $2,000 a month for a redemption center on plastic bags. You know, this makes a big difference for them. Um, and one of my favorite parts about it is that it requires some investment and um, work around reuse and refill. Um, going to all these redemption centers, there's, I'm, I'm really happy that we have this program and things are getting recycled. But we need a lot more, we need a lot less containers, period. So um, I talked to a lot of uh, places, um, you know, in Canada and out west where um, reuse and refill is really successful. And we put in a lot of provisions into the bill so that help help Maine be a leader in this space in um, New England. That's a lot of talking, but those are, um, that's uh, kind of the idea. Um, yeah. It's been that's, a that's a perfect overview. Well, it's super exciting and it is, Good to have the first step done. And as you said, there's a public hearing um, coming up soon in May and, and, and hopefully it'll move quickly after that, move as quickly as the other bill did. Well, while I've got you, I wanted to ask you about two other things that have been in the news lately, because I think probably people really appreciate your perspective on it. The first was this really cynical bill that's being pushed by Casella. That's the state's dominant waste hauler. Uh, to roll back the law that was passed last year that closed the loophole um, that that had been allowing out-of-state waste to flood into Maine and in particular our state-owned landfill in Juniper Ridge. So this 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 bill, this attempt to roll back that law is really a, an affront to the Penobscot Nation and also to so many local residents who fought hard to protect their health and the health of the Penobscot River. Um, so can you just Give us a little context here. What's at stake by this attempt by Casella to roll back uh, this this law? Right. Um, yeah. This has been. Um, I really. This has been a disheartening kind of um, event that's happened here. So basically, what's at stake is they they want to have put a delay on the out of state waste loophole closure bill. So that could essentially open up our our doors to you know. 200,000 plus tons a year of out-of-state waste coming into Maine's state-owned landfill. Again, the, what we just worked to fix last year. Um, so, um, you know, the state bought the landfill up at Juniper Ridge in Old Town um, 20 years ago to prevent it from being filled with waste from out-of-state. If you're a state-owned landfill, you can do that. That's why it was purchased. <laughs> so we're getting, so to, to, to consider opening it back up, um, it's a, it's, disheartening and, and serious. Um, what's happened here, though, is Casella, who manages the state-owned landfill for the state, um, they're claiming that they need that material to manage the state's uh, sludge. And um, I've done a lot of research and uh, conversations into this. 
That's not true. This is, um, they can use other materials. They're just choosing not to because they got paid to take in that waste from out of state and they they like that. Um, they, like, they like that revenue and they're not willing to change their ways. And what this is, is really they're um, exerting their dominance and control in the situation. Um, and there's not a lot that the state can do to make them change their ways. So we are working closely um, with the committee to try to come up with a solution to this that's not as bad as what they propose mm -hmm. in that bill. Yeah, I mean, they're like a near monopoly, right? So this just shows, this this just shows the, the, the dangers of, of that that can happen when you don't have a corporation that's operating in Maine that that operates with our environmental ethic in me in mind, right? Like that's that is part of everyone who lives here, right? Has that embedded, and I think we would expect corporations to do the same thing, right? <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And it's unfortunate that we have to kind of we have to write laws now to. <laughs> To make sure that it, it targets those bad actors, basically, mm -hmm. we need to, to basically handhold and walk them through exactly what it is they need to do to change, mm -hmm. um, because we can't expect them to do it um, on their own all the time. And Casella is just, um, it's really frustrating. They've gone and uh, started charging Maine towns about 50% more per ton for their wastewater treatment um, sludge disposal costs, um, citing that they need their money to fun marketing of the sludge out of state and um, blaming it on um, these important environmental laws. And uh, meanwhile, they're crowing to Wall Street about their huge profits. Their profits are up 12% this quarter over this time last year. Um, they're, you know, they're a $4.7 billion company and they have the nerve of charging Maine's taxpayers all this money um, and, and using these these wastewater treatment plant owners to help them overturn a law so they can continue to make more money. It's yeah. beyond the pale. It's worse than I thought that they would ever do. Yeah. It's really frustrating. Well, hopefully thanks for your work on that. And, and I know, I think so many people fought for that, um, that ban on out of state waste. And so I think they appreciate um, just that, that, you know, that update on it. The last thing I just wanted to talk to you about was this news out of Auburn that they've decided to end the recycling program, which is obviously a, a big bummer. Um, I know this decision also reiterates why the systemic change you've been fighting for is so important, right? It's it's situations like this, which is why you push for the for Maine to be the first nation to pass EPR for pack uh, first state in the nations, excuse me, to pass EPR for packaging laws. So I'd love for you to just end the podcast by you, um, you know, giving our list, taking a step back and giving our listeners a, a little sense of the larger context of how you think about waste and how we can work together to build a healthier, more sustainable approach to waste in Maine. Sure, I'm happy to. And I, you know, this is also a good opportunity to mention how um, important the bottle bill is. So in towns <laughs> that don't have a municipal recycling program, there is at least still bottle redemption. And like I said, half of the packaging is going through that system. So thank goodness we have Maine's bottle bill to at least keep those containers out of the landfill. Um, so that's one thought. The other is, you know, when I read that news out of Auburn, you know, that they they decided to stop recycling, citing the costs. They were saying it's too expensive mm -hmm. to recycle, cheaper to just throw everything away. So we're going to do that. And, you know, my first reaction was, you know, this is, you know, why we needed EPR for packaging yesterday to yep. make it, it's basically trying to make it so that towns are never put in this position again to try to make that choice. 
So right now, towns and cities typically end up on the receiving end of all this waste and taxpayers have to pay to deal with it all. And what we focus on um, in our policy work at NRCM is to put the, that responsibility and the cost of managing that material on the producers of that material. So the whole polluter pays principle um, mm -hmm. is what we, what we work to do. So say when the EPR for packaging bill is up and running, Auburn um, will hopefully be um, excited to get their recycling program back because their recycling program costs will be covered. And then all of a sudden disposal becomes the more expensive option. And they're gonna wanna get as much material out of that as possible. So what we're trying to do is make the economics work in a way that supports um, this whole system um, and, and, the, and the environment and saves money for, for taxpayers. Yeah, and I love the beauty of it too is at the same time, we're sort of really trying to shift um, a change in how, you know, people who produce packaging or these big companies, um, how they, you know, how they're creating this packaging, right? Make it less wasteful, make it, you know, less plastic that like really trying to force their hand because they've shown that they're not going to do it by themselves, right? They might have flashy, flashy websites or brochures to hand us, but they're, they're not, they're not, they're not going to do it without a program like EPR for packaging or some of these larger systemic changes you're working on. Right. Yeah. It's totally, you know, the prerogative of these companies, what they're going to put their, their products in, you know, they're mm -hmm. the ones who choose what kind of package to deliver everything in. And if they um, are all of a sudden with EPR on the hook for, um, for paying for managing that, it's, it's, it's going to put the right price signals in place for them as well. You know, oh, we don't know. We're going to have to pay more for all of this problematic, um, trashy packaging, then they're going to move away from that. So that's the that's the idea behind everything, you know, and this whole program really provides support for doing so, um, you know, it's it's there's a new a new group that would be responsible for helping make all these connections and helping companies to reduce their costs and providing guidance to towns for how to best manage their recycling program. So it's a whole new system that doesn't exist today that will in a few years. And I'm really excited to see all the benefits um, that come out of this new program. Yeah, for sure. Well, we'll have you on the podcast again to talk about EPR for packaging at some point when it when um, a little later on in the process. Um, well, Sarah, thanks so much for joining us today. Um, as we mentioned, Rep Representative Hep Allison Hepler's bill to modernize the bottle bill is coming up for a hearing this Monday, May 15th. So um, I know you're really busy preparing for that and much more. Really appreciate you taking the time to um to just talk with us and give give listeners a sense of what you're up to and you know as always um folks can visit nrcm.org to learn more about this topic and learn more about how they can take action um thanks sarah for joining us hope you get out on that bike soon <laughs> thanks you too colin i'll see you on the trail yeah yeah yeah. and thanks always to our listeners for tuning in you're you're what make nrcm one of the most effective environmental organizations in maine it's a it's a partnership we couldn't do it without you uh so i hope you're able to like we've been talking about get out there and enjoy this wonderful spring weather in whatever way is most enjoyable to you thanks again for listening Thank you for listening to Maine Environment, Frontline, Frontline Voices. Since 1959, NRCM has been tapping into the power of Maine people, science, and the law to protect and enhance the nature of Maine. To learn more about our work protecting Maine's environment, visit nrcm.org or follow us on social media at NRCM Environment.